0: Hi everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Inspired Churches podcast. We're a church in Union City that loves Jesus. Our hope is that you'd be inspired to grow in God's Word as reflected in loving Christ more and more every day.
1: So wherever you are, be a light. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspiredchurches.com. If you're just joining us today, or maybe you haven't been here for a few weeks, we started a new series called Rhythms of Life. And what we're really doing is we're, we're, taking, we're auditing our habits. We're taking inventory of those, uh, uh, those things in our life that have been forming or shaping us. Our habits—those uh, things that are ingrained in our muscle memory that we kind of just do instinctually—they uh, become like instinctively sometimes. Whether it's looking at your phone or or other elements that we've done so much, the ingrained patterns into our mind, and they've shaped us. And, and we're we're asking, hey, what does it look like to not just audit your habits, but then to replace those habits with life-giving rhythms, uh, rhythms of prayer rhythms of reading the scriptures, of fasting, of seeking, of generosity. These rhythms that as followers of Jesus who want to look like Jesus and walk with Jesus, these rhythms that transform us into his image. And so uh, we are entering now into week three, week four actually. And I had a bit of a break, and Pastor Roger did a great job of our first two rhythms that are kind of in tandem, uh, praying and fasting. And if you haven't listened to those sermons, uh, go back, whether it's on YouTube or whether you want to go to our podcast, but praying and fasting have been the first two rhythms. And as a church, we have been uh, uh, um, just uh, um, embarking. Uh, together on the rhythm of praying. Uh, We pray 30 minutes in the morning and 30 minutes at night um, as a community and we fast every Wednesday as a community. It's been two weeks now and it's been life-giving for me at least and I know for many of you it has and it's not too late to join in as Catherine already mentioned. Uh, But today we are going to enter into uh, a third and fourth rhythm uh, we've talked about praying, we've talked about fasting, and we're going to partner the next two rhythms together for the next two weeks. And we're going to talk, be talking about the rhythm of reading, which ultimately is the rhythm of regularly applying yourself to the scriptures, reading, your, uh, uh, reading the scriptures and discerning the will of God reading and discerning. Um, And so we're going to kind of lay this out for you. And we're going to use the text from Romans 12. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to open it up there. Uh, We're going to normalize bringing your Bible to church again. Um, I might get a little hat with an acronym, just kidding. Um, But nonetheless, uh, thank you, Gerald. Um, Romans 12, 1 and 2. We will have it for you on the screen, but I do want to give you time, whether it's through your apps or through your, uh, through your physical scriptures to be able to turn there. Romans 12, uh, verse 1 and 2. And I guess now that we are normalizing uh, this rhythm of reading, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to help you buy a Bible. Um, I mean, talk about normalizing this rhythm and not just the one on your app, but a physical one. I don't want to get legalistic in this room and say, well, if you don't have a real Bible, you're not a Christian. That's not what I'm saying. But just to have a Bible, to bring it with you, to turn the pages, to know where to go in the text. I think it's just something that maybe we should, some of us, we feel the conviction, right? Uh, uh, that it's something that we should we should do. Romans 12 Um, verse 1 and 2. And this is going to be the launching point for the next two weeks. So if you're here today, I hope that you would make a commitment to join us again next week as we will be um, uh, tying these two rhythms of reading and discerning together. Amen? Amen. Amen. Romans 12, uh, verses 1 and 2. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Rome. Rome was the Paris... The Dubai, the New York, the San Francisco of its time—it uh, was the place, the city to be. And there was a community of Jesus followers in that uh, vast secular environment, dealing with the noise of the Colosseum and the political uh, um, uh, scene of the Senate, and 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 the entertainment of the theater. And and Christians, the community were there, and Paul is speaking to them, and he's telling them this in in, in verse uh, chapter. 12 verse 1 and 2. He says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, if you've been fasting on Wednesdays, you can say amen. You've literally been presenting your stomach as a body sacrifice for Christ. He says. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And I really want to focus and land here for the next two weeks in verse two. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that... By testing, you may discern what is the will of God. How many in here want to know God's will? And sometimes it can be so abstract. Like, God, what do you want? What, what do you want me to do? And some of us in here, we just need to know God's will because we're Christians. We're followers of Christ. What is your will? Some of us, we have decisions to make. Some of you right now are sitting in here thinking, man, I need to make a decision. I need to know what God has for me. And so here it is. He says that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect amen so two weeks we're going to use this uh, uh, scripture to discuss two rhythms reading and discerning and this text lays out for us a process by which we may know the will of God amen God doesn't want to be hidden hidden God wants to be known. He's revealed himself. He's not hiding from you. And next week, we're gonna dive deeper into the idea of uh, knowing God's voice in the midst of many voices and many choices. Right, this world is a smorgasbord, it's a buffet of choices and voices. Uh, but what is God's? Voice? So we're gonna dive deeper into that next week. But today, we need to lay a foundation. We need to lay a proper foundation. So that we can position ourselves to know the will of God in our lives. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. Right. And so I, here's what I want to do. I, I want to I make two points today. Okay, We're going to have two points if you're taking notes. It's going to be a deconstruction and a reconstruction. Yeah. Yeah. A deconstruction and a reconstruction. So point number one, the deconstruction is... Do not be conformed to this world. And then the reconstruction is going to be, but be, and I have a feeling this thing is going to fall. The reconstruction is be transformed. And I'm going to add by the word. Okay. The renewal of your mind. So these are the two points. A deconstruction, do not be conformed to the world. And a reconstruction, be transformed by the word. And so if you're ready, I'm going to pray uh, because we're going to need the Lord. We're going to need his spirit to translate the word, to illuminate the text in this house, in this room. There are many different people sitting in this room, wrestling, decisions, lifestyles. So I want the Holy Spirit to speak. Only he can transform and do through the grace of the word. Um, what I can't do on my own, what we can't do in our own power. Amen? So will you pray with me? Yeah. Yeah. Father, we love your word. We, we eat your word like a meal. This is dinner. And so we fill ourselves with this word and we trust, Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate the text, that you would do what no one else could do and bring increase where the enemy has, has sought to steal, kill, and destroy. I ask ask that this word, this seed of your word would land on good soil. It would produce good fruit. For your honor and your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning, Inspire. Good to see y'all. It's good to see the kids with us too. Welcome. Welcome, Uh, uh, kids. I appreciate it. And parents, I love y'all for coming today. Um, And I don't judge you if you didn't come today. But if you brought your kid today, there's a temptation, right? No kids ministry. We might as well stay home. But if you did, I want you to know we're with you. And so if you got to go out, you got to bathrooms, they're being loud. Maybe you got them on their phone. Whatever the case may be, I want to know we love you. And um, and so thank you, children. Thank you for being here. Um, I hope that the Holy Spirit would speak to you. Um, You're not beyond. There's no age for the Holy Spirit. Um, and so um, I, I believe that God will, in, in one way, shape, or another. If anything, here's what you're doing you're teaching your child the rhythm of church. Wow. That's right. wow. And if there's one thing I'll appreciate my parents for, and there are many, it's the rhythm of church attendance. Even when I came kicking and screaming and didn't want to be here, that rhythm. That's right, <laughs> <laughs> that rhythm is powerful in itself. Amen? Okay. That's my mom, for those of you that didn't know. Oh, and by the way, okay. Um, what, a, what a game last night, so. Yeah. I'm a big Niner fan, and this might be sacrilegious to some of you, and there are other churches where, you know, that are out there, you can check, but I'm a big 49er fan, and so anyway, i am just got to. Okay, and that's it. Back to the Word, back to the Word, back to the Word, back to the Word, back to the Word. Yeah. Yeah. Do not be conformed. To this world as I talk about the 49ers, okay? So that was humbling. Yeah, that was humbling. Do not be conformed to this world. <laughs> that word conformed means to be shaped according to a pattern. I'm a terrible draw. I can't draw. Terrible since a kid. I remember other artists would do it and I try. I am Terrible. But, you know, give me something I can trace. <laughs> I can get that done. But that's it. don't be shaped according to a pattern. So when Paul says, uh, don't be conformed to this world, when he uses the word world, he's not using it in a creational sense. God loves the world. But he's referring to, are you ready? A value system that is under the influence of the evil one grooming us to define principles like love, morality, and success according to its own image, a value system that wants us to adopt its definition of the good life in order to enslave us. And manipulate us into a kind of perpetual consumerism where you're always striving, always reaching, but never attaining. Mm -hmm. Let that sink in. Always striving, always reaching, Mm -hmm. like a hamster on a wheel, but never attaining, never satisfied. Some of you have been bit by that bug where you got the thing that you really wanted and you're not happy. You thought that would bring you happiness. And all it's done is brought you more pain. It, 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 it wants us, the world, adopt its definition of the good life in order to enslave us and destroy our souls in the process. Dr. Jerry Brashears defines the world As Satan's domain, where his authority and values reign. Though his deception makes that hard to realize. If you are of the world, then it seems right. Seems good. It seems like this is how it goes. This is how it is. I want you to know the world is not an abstract idea. Anybody born and raised in church? Or maybe you've just been around church talk. Right? And someone ever tell you, man, you're so worldly. <laughs> That's so worldly. You're like, what is he talking about? Like, usually when someone's acting out of pocket or inappropriate, why are they being worldly? Right, but, but it's not, it, it seems like an abstract idea, but th- that idea is based in fact a system, a pattern. And and we are blessed to have the Apostle John who exposes these values. He calls them out by name. Now, can I say this? We all love the abstract religion. Let's keep this abstract. Because if it's abstract, then I'm not going to be called out specifically. So if it's just got worldly, it's kind of out there, then then I I can pacify or justify my life. But then when we start putting names on it and you start seeing yourself in it is when we become violent and hostile. So today, (laughs) little seatbelts, we're going to call some things out if that's okay. John, the apostle exposes the value systems of the world by name so that we who are followers of Jesus who desire to be transformed by his word would not remain ignorant to the patterns of this world which are counterproductive to the will of God. Right? I'm gonna expose the values of this world So that as followers of Christ, you would not be ignorant to the patterns of this world. That you would be transformed by the word because the world is counterproductive to the will of God. 1 John chapter 2 verse 16. Here he gives this value system and he calls them out by name. He says, for all that is in the world. You see that? All of it. He's about, he's about to take everything in the world, right, in this system, and he's gonna bring it down into three components. Love it, love it. Speaking my language here. Condensing it. Here it is. Are you ready? Three values. He says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. He says, is not from the Father but it's from the world. You see what he did there? He gave you by name some values of this world. And and then he sets it up. He says, there are two kingdoms. You are either submitting, yielding your life to the patterns of the world in the image of the evil one, or you are submitting your life to the patterns of the word in the image of God the Father. Y'all see that? So let's unpack it, shall we? Um, and I want to unpack it so that we can make an honest assessment with regards to how we, each one of us in this room, including myself, I want want us all to make an honest assessment with, with how the worldly value system, these patterns are currently influencing the way you're making decisions right now, the way that you're leading your life right now. Ready? A little quiet. Number one, the desires of the flesh, the value of the flesh. Let me put this plainly. This is the urge to satisfy our human appetites. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I love fasting, right? We are denying a appetite. Mm-hmm. It's the instant gratification of what sociologists call our animal instincts or our base desires. It's that inward drive to pursue ease, pleasure, comfort, and convenience at all costs. It can be impulsive and unruly if not governed by the Spirit, disastrous. Here, In this value, we equate our feelings, emotions, and cravings to the voice of God. And there's so much research, right? And so much scientific data out there that proves why this is actually so devastating. When we give in to our appetites, when we value the flesh, We take comfort in food and become gluttons. We find relief in pornography, become adulterers. We medicate pain with drugs and we escape through various distractions, self-harm, alcohol use. And overconsumption to escape reality, to pursue pleasure, to pursue comfort, ease, to relieve stress. Y'all see that? Yeah. Yeah. Yet in spite of all those disasters, this world wants to prioritize this value of the flesh. Ideologies and philosophies like the Swiss philosopher, Rousseau, who kind of one of the father, fathers of romanticism, which would suggest that in order to find our true self, we need to give in to our primordial urges. Right? Romanticism actually inspired the French Revolution and currently animates our postmodern world. Right? That somehow your true self is those urges, those instant urges, the primordial urges. And we see traces of that in this postmodern world that we live in. A society that has elevated feelings as king and has given them the authority to define and Mm -hmm. redefine right and wrong, true and untrue. And I wonder how many of us are making decisions while being steered by the flesh. Yet the scriptures tell us that we are not our primordial urges. We are not the product of an evolutionary accident, that we were made on purpose, for a purpose. And that when God designed us, and Pastor Roger talked about this a little bit he designed us in Genesis one. We're told that we are both Adam of the mud and Ruach, the spirit. That God formed man from the dirt, but then breathed the breath of life, flesh and spirit. And in fact, a lot of worldly ideologies will oppose one over the other. Whereas the Christian worldview says that they are both made good. But that sin has come in and that a spirit yielded to the word. Can govern a flesh so that its appetites won't destroy. You with me? Yeah. Yeah. Like a river that exceeds its banks or a dam that bursts, so is the flesh, unchecked by a spirit yielded to the word abiding in the vine and producing spiritual fruit. And the one fruit that comes to mind is self-control. You with me? Number two, the desires of the eyes. Value number two, value the flesh, value the eyes. Really, this is the temptation to want what we see. (laughs) Zillow. (laughs) Anybody else? (laughs) Just me? (laughs) Man. The temptation to want what we see. It's visual stimulation that leads to fantasy. But I'm not just talking about sex. I'm talking about covetousness. Covetousness. It awakens when we scroll through the gram. Or we look at our neighbor's truck. Or maybe you're the neighbor and someone else has looked at your truck and you're angry because one of you, you know, you have some of those friendships, right? Where you get so why they always got to get something? We bought a new car, they get a new car. <laughs> right? Or maybe someone else got a new car and you want a new car. Y'all upset? Right? Visual stimulation, which leads to covetousness. It awakens when we scroll through the gram, look at our neighbor's new truck. We watch what others do, what others wear, what others buy, where others go on vacation. And we want what we don't have buy what we can't afford to please and impress people we don't know. Meanwhile, the rhythm of generosity doesn't exist in our lives. Right? Meanwhile, while we pursue the American dream that we see and perceive as the good life, the rhythms of giving doesn't exist. Y'all see where the idolatry is there? Some of y'all thought I was going to say tithing, right? (laughs) Giving to the church is part of it. But generosity is not just to the church on a Sunday. Generosity is a lifestyle that breaks the bondage of materialism. And while you're daydreaming on Zillow, you know, mom's on the gram, dad's on Zillow. And your kids on their iPad watching Ryan. God bless Ryan. Millions of dollars. Right, right, I'm not saying burn all your iPads. Here's, <laughs> Here's what I am saying. Yeah, Philip would kill me too. Here's what I am saying. You know, I look at Philip and sometimes I think he'd rather watch someone else play. You know, it's about this younger generation, right, right? Like, I mean, every generation, every generation, every generation, like the generation previous, it makes one, like we all got problems. Every generation's got issues. But this generation in particular, I noticed these young kids, they're on their iPad and they're watching someone else play. I'm like, do you want to play? No. What do you want to do? I want to watch someone else play. Sometimes I think they want to watch people play more than they want to play. Yeah. Right? And while Ryan makes millions, our kids watch him play. And literally they are conditioned to covet his toys. See that? Mom's on the gram. Dad's on Zillow. Child is on iPad with Ryan. And instead of a household moving in rhythms of devotion. hmm, Instead of you teaching your kids the scriptures. Praying with them at night. We are actually moving in rhythms of covetousness. Y'all see the idols? Yeah. yeah. And this worldly value of the eyes is not only an enemy of contentment and gratitude. Yeah. Contentment is I'm good with where I'm at. I don't need the next thing, the new house, the new car, the so-and-so, so, so forth, whatever. I can be content where I'm at, and that contentment produces gratitude. Some of us don't worship until we get the blessing. Some of us we don't we didn't worship, and, and you know this is good. Let the conviction happen. I'm not questioning your salvation, but let the lordship of Christ, the allegiance of God, the things of this world, let it be purged out of you. Marie said it. The Psalm prepared us. I want to be tried by fire. We don't even know what we're saying. Thank you, Marie, for even sharing us. Hey, be careful! You're about to sing a song. Purify me of these desires that are counterproductive to the will of God. In this worldly value of the eyes, it's not only an enemy of contentment and gratitude, but it elevates illusion. Lies that enslave. That's what it is. They don't even look like that, (laughs) right? It's been photoshopped. That's not even a real airplane they're on. (laughs) You guys seen that? (laughs) All these influencers. But you like it. You want it. You scroll through it. You love it. Your eyes, your eyes. Covetousness. Oh, beautiful. Look at their smile. They're such a beautiful. My gosh, look at how big that house is. Wow, wow, they have it all. Then you meet these people and their life is a mess. An illusion that has enslaved them and is enslaving you. Because you bought into the definition of the good life. And it hasn't come from the word. It's come from the world. Number three, the pride of life. Right, so he says the desires of the flesh, these cravings, these appetites, this instant gratification, this animal instinct. The desires of the eyes, like covetousness, wanting what we see. Number three, the pride of life. And really, this is the need for power and control. Control, right? Control, I need it to go this way. Like I am orchestrating everything so that it comes out the way that I want I got I have lived in places and spaces in my life where there was no control that will never happen again and so I am now in control. Wow. Yes. Some of you are controlling your children's lives. Wow. And they're 38. <laughs> See that? But also power can be this need to feel like you are above, you are great that you are somebody right it's this pursuit of applause recognition or status like every time i need to i need people to know that i've made it i need to justify myself i need people to see that i'm somebody according to the world's definition of that you know what it is it's the need to self determine Right? It's a pervasive attitude that does what it wants, how it wants, when it wants. And nobody, not even God, has the authority to tell me I'm doing wrong. Isn't that weird, right? This word has no authority over me. I'm God. Self-determined, right? It's It's a form of radical autonomy that says, I call the shots, I make the rules, I determine what is right and wrong, good or bad for my life. And if anyone disagrees with me, they're being unloving and intolerant. Notice the common thread in this pattern, in these patterns, in this worldly value system. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. Or desires of the eyes, desires of the flesh, and pride of life. Notice the common thread. Are you ready? It's self-exaltation. Or dethroning God and enthroning self. In Matthew 7, Jesus calls this worldly system the wide gate of destruction that many will go through. In Mark 4, Jesus calls this system the thorns that choke the growth of the seed of the word, it's the cares of this world. It's the riches, it's the success, it's the vision of a good life as defined by this system and not by the word. In Matthew 7, Jesus compares the man who builds his life on this system to a fool who has built his house on sand. And both the wise man and the foolish man look okay until the storm comes. But when the storm comes and the rains come and they beat on the house. The man who built his house on sand lost his home. And great was his fall. And the man who built his house on a rock is a man who built his house on the word and lived his life according to the word. Jesus puts it even more plainly than that in Matthew 16. He says, for what will profit a man if he gains the whole world in return for his soul? Hmm. I have exchanged these rhythms of life for rhythms that are destroying my soul. Wow. Wow. See that? And we're all doing it. Mm. The, the beautiful thing about the Bible is that it both cuts and heals. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Let yeah. it cut. It's okay. It's Accept it. Receive it. Repentance is not a bad thing. Yeah. Uh, we are in this world and we are idolaters. In fact, there's another sermon series that's coming up pretty soon. We're going to be talking about we make idols. The heart is an idle factory. We all have it. And you know what the crazy thing is? Jesus makes these comments about this system. Yet this entire value system is regularly being reinforced to us from academia to politics and both sides of the aisle. Music to television, social media feeds, corporate marketing departments, even pulpits of churches where the preachers are gifted communicators, yet they sprinkle the word only to enhance the flesh. And even Disney cartoons. I'm not saying burn your Disney cartoons. (laughs) But I am saying, what, what is a follower of Christ to do, guys? We're doomed. <laughs> what are we to do? We're exposed. We're exposed. What are we to do? We are reinforced. The things that we say, what we watch, everywhere you go. How? How are we to live As citizens of heaven in a foreign land. Think about that. How are we to live as citizens of heaven in a foreign land? This is not our home, guys. These aren't our values. How can we be in this world, but not of this world? Jesus says you need to deconstruct, don't be conformed, don't be shaped by the patterns of this world, and then reconstruct, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind through the word, the word. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 10, and you can go there, I'll wait. We want to work through this. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. The Apostle Paul again writing now to another church in Corinth. He says this. For though we walk in. In the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Wow. He calls this fight between the Christian mind renewing himself in the word while deconstructing the world a war. He says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. He says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ." Wow. Paul describes the process of mind renewal as warfare. Can you feel it now in your spirit? Even as we begin to preach and and talk through the lust of the flesh and and and, and some of you are like, man, I'm guilty that you feel the anger, the hostility, the warfare because when the truth of God hits, it could cut and 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 the flesh wants to justify and deny and self-determine nobody can tell me what I can and can't do with my body nobody can tell me what I can't and can't do with my mind what I expose myself to yet here the word of God says it is warfare warfare but this warfare is unorthodox Paul says this isn't modern warfare We're not using modern technology to fight this war against this worldly system. We're not picking up arms. We don't have guns or grenades or drones or planes or tanks. He says, we are going to pull down this system, but we are not going to do it the way you seek. (laughs) But can I also say to you, Christian, neither is this a culture war. And Christians who is so confused. You think that engaging on Facebook debates is going to somehow be the way that you win this war. Sharing dehumanizing memes. Entering into endless political debates as if Jesus were some kind of primarily a political messiah. Paul says the battle is not waged in some distant land or Senate floor. It's not primarily fought in the ballot box or on your timelines. But Paul tells us, are you ready? The battlefield is in your mind. It's in your mind. It's happening right now, even as I preach this message. We're not warring against other nations or even human beings, as much as some of you would like to make it that way. But we're warring against thoughts. He calls them arguments, ideologies, philosophies, or lofty opinions that are demonically inspired to appeal to your flesh, appeal to your eyes, and appeal to your pride. So here's what we're going to do. I want to define three things. I'm going to finish with some practicalities. You guys are doing great. Hang with me. Thank you. Hang with me here. You'll be at lunch soon. Three three things I want to define. Strongholds. Footholds. And divine weaponry. Strongholds footholds and divine weaponry, right? Paul says, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they are powerful. They are divine. And he says, for the what? Pulling down or the deconstructing of strongholds. And so let's identify this. Footholds, strongholds, footholds and divine weaponry. Amen? Amen? Number one, strongholds, strongholds. If you think it in military terms, which what Paul has in mind, strongholds are fortified positions. Hmm. (laughs) Feel that fortified positions Mm -hmm. that are heavily guarded and difficult to break through strongholds fortified positions like fortresses, heavily guarded concentration, heavily guarded that are not easy to break through. What are they? They are, this is key, this is key, strong opinions or deeply held beliefs that are at odds with the word of God. Remember, we're talking, we're talking something beyond the physical. We're not talking about a literal fortress. We're talking about deeply embedded beliefs and opinions that you have formed and come to believe as true, but they're at odds with the scriptures. Mm. watch and what makes these strongholds so strong is that they're fortified but not with soldiers reasons reasons are your soldiers so okay listen a stronghold is a deeply held conviction a belief that is embedded and surrounded and fortified by a bunch of reasons which is even why I'm preaching now. It's, there's strongholds that are trying to be, the word is trying to cut through, but there's just too much. Yeah. It's heavily fortified. Heavily fortified. It's, it, your identity is in it. Jesus. Like if, I, if, if that stronghold comes down, to me, I gotta die. Jesus. And yet Jesus says, die to yourself. Yes, Jesus. This is not an invitation to the good life, the way the world defines it. It's an invitation to a death. Jesus. Hmm. So, look, stronghold. I have this belief, this thing that I believe to be true, and it's fortified by a bunch of reasons. What are these reasons? Data points, (laughs) professional opinions, political preferences, personal experiences, past pains, wounds, and traumas that surround your belief like a fortress. Can I say this? And I'm going to talk about something amoral. Okay, so like we're not going to. I'm going to put something that just doesn't have a moral moral value to it. Vaccinations, <laughs> but it definitely has some crazy value. We've moralized it. That's look. If you're vaccinated or unvaccinated, you're, that doesn't determine your status in Christ. Okay. Amen. 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 And I'm vaccinated, just so you know. <laughs> but it doesn't determine whether you're a Christian or not. Okay. But let's talk about this amoral. Okay but still very hot topic. You believe the vaccination is good. You believe the vaccination is bad. There's your belief, deeply embedded, (laughs) heavily fortified. And if somebody comes up against it, guess what? You are going to deflect it with what? Reasons. Reasons. All kinds of reasons. People were influenced by. Algorithms were shaped by The news that we listen to, right? The pundits, the podcasts, your preferred doctors. You know what's really amazing is, in order to come to a belief, you have to submit yourself under a word, right? None of us in here are doctors, no immunologists in this room, right? There might be. Apologize, I don't know you personally. No scientists, we're not out there analyzing the data, so how are we getting our conclusions? Well, we are submitting ourselves under someone's word, we're trusting in a word, and there's past experiences in this room. You've had past experiences. Somebody had a bad experience. You know, people. You see what I'm saying here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, this is this is amoral, but I want you to see a stronghold is a belief surrounded by reasons. But nothing ever begins as a stronghold. It needs to be built up. And so every stronghold begins as a foothold. And I know we're behind here, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my time. We'll pay the extra. <laughs> a stronghold begins as a foothold. What's a foothold? Right? You think about it. You ever like played tag or, I don't know, you're running to catch up to your brother or your sister. Or, I don't know. And they try to slam the door on you, but you put your foot in the door. Boom. Right? So that the door wouldn't slam (laughs) on you. That's a foothold. Like we're attempting to shut it, but yet we've given some space so that we can slide in there. Something can get in. So every stronghold starts as a foothold. Just an open door. Small little crease, crack. What is is a foothold? A foothold is a lie that we believe. a, A compromise that we make. Or a habit, a rhythm that we form. This is going to be the biggest part of this section. So I need you to hear this out. Footholds grow into strongholds when they are regularly reinforced by the patterns of this world. And rarely addressed by the word of God. See that? A foothold. Becomes a stronghold. When they are two things. Regularly reinforced. Applauded. Encouraged by the patterns of this world. Simultaneously. Rarely addressed by the word of God. Can we dissect that for a minute? What do I mean by regularly reinforced by the patterns of this world? You know. There are people in this room on both sides of the political aisle, we're consumed by commentary, political commentary, right? Yeah. Podcasts, yeah. you know, your news, right? And you've demonized one news, right? We all got it. <laughs> I don't listen to that channel. I go here, right? Preferred political pundits, right? And so, So what happens is, those value systems get reinforced based on our consumption our intake over and over again intaking right are you with me how about this how about the lyrical content of your preferred music now remember we're no longer saying hey is this a sin or not a sin right is it a sin for me to listen to this song i mean not necessarily but what here's what we're asking who is this forming me into am I being conformed to the patterns of the world or am I being formed into the image of God? Are you guys with me there? Yeah. You know, it's, 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 and I'm gonna say something pretty harsh, but pimps groom prostitutes. You can be groomed in the same way that this worldly system grooms us. And so what we're exposed to, what we're constantly listening to, what we're constantly intaking on a regular basis is reinforcing patterns. Amen? Amen. Now, remember, a strong, a foothold becomes a stronghold when number one, it is regularly reinforced by patterns of this world. And number two, combine that with what? a rare intake of the word. Y'all feel that? I gotta say, I love Sundays. I do. In fact, I believe it should be a regular rhythm. I think that the, the gathering of the saints, not just to listen to some parrot talk, but the gathering of believers to be embodied To seek encouragement, to sing praises, to lift up hands, to commune together, to intake the word. I think it's a really a good rhythm, a necessary rhythm. Paul, uh, Actually, the writer of Hebrews says, don't forsake the gathering as some have made it a habit of doing. I love Sundays, but if Sunday morning is the only space that you receive regular doses of the word then you're bound to have footholds and strongholds. For some, i would say so, many of us, this is is really where we get our word. We got 45, I'm timed. I'm over time right now. Because we got to get you out of here. You got to go to lunch. (laughs) And I believe that. I don't think, I'm not going to advocate for six hour sermons, although you're getting one right now. But you're doing great. Mom Patty loves it. Nobody else does. <laughs> but listen, oh, oh, 45 minutes. Then we got to go. You got to get to lunch. But if Sunday morning is the only space where you are receiving regular doses of the word, then you are bound to have many footholds, many strongholds. And so we practice the rhythm of Scripture. The regular consumption of the word yes, yes. beyond a Sunday morning. Y'all see that? Yeah. To strengthen our intake so that we can resist the footholds, resist the strongholds, even see them. Some of us were calling bad good and good bad. Wow. Wow. So the practice of the rhythm of scripture is to strengthen you. Listen, some of us go to church regularly, but see little transformation privately. And though I do not dare to question your salvation. I'm not here to question your salvation. But I do say this, because your rhythms of scripture are rare and weak, you walk in many compromises, many, many. And some of you might even be self-deceiving yourself and your salvation actually is not really there. Many compromises. Many things you are making exception is okay because of a sloppy, cheap grace. It's free, but it's not cheap. The cross is free, but it's not cheap. It's not cheap. And I don't want to be a pastor of a church that goes before the Lord and says, why didn't you tell me that? I'm responsible. I carry a responsibility to love you even if that love confronts what worldly lies you've accepted. But Paul says the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds or deconstruct the patterns of the world. Amen, divine weaponry. And one of the primary weapons in our arsenal is the sword of the spirit. Word of God. Word of God. The Word of God. The Word of God. The rhythm of the Word of God. The, the meditating, the reading to not only know the Word, but to what? Discern the will of God. Yeah. And I want to leave you with a few practicalities with regards to the Word. Something you could take with you and leave today. Say, how do I regularly intake rhythms of the Word? Psalm 119, 11 through 16 I'm going to read it quickly. How the team get ready. I God says this. It's Psalm says this. David writes this. It's a beautiful Psalm. Talks about the scriptures. I'm going to give you uh, five verses. I'm going to give you some regular rhythms. And then we're going to pray and just uh, 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 finish together. Amen. Here he goes. He says, I've stored up your word in my heart. I'm going to teach you how to store the word up. That's what we need. We need a storage child, like we store grain, like we save money for retirement. I need to store the word up. He says, uh, I have stored the word up in my heart. Watch this, that I might not sin against you. So storing the word up keeps me from sin. Here we go. He says, blessed are you, O Lord. Number one, teach me your statutes with my lips. Number two, I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. Wow. He says, number three, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I delight in your statutes. And number four, I will not forget your word. Four simple practices to add to your rhythms. That'll help you store the word of God in your heart. Four rhythms you can take with you right now as you walk out of here. How can I be a a person who engages in regular rhythms of scripture? Here we go, number one, verse 12. He says, teach me. Number one is learn the scriptures. Rhythm one, learn the scriptures. What do I mean by that? Make a habit of sitting under the preaching and teaching gift that God has given the church. Ephesians says he gives to the church preachers and teachers. And so if I want to be someone who learns the scriptures, then I need to position myself as a lifelong learner. Posture yourself as a student and sit regularly under the teaching of the word. Take on the posture of a student. Take notes. Read books. Listen to podcasts. Attend conferences. Commit to sitting under the preaching and teaching at your local church. Don't just become a person who reads the scripture but be someone who is a student of the scripture. Learn how to rightly divide the truth. Number two, verse 13 says, declare. Number one is learn the scriptures. Number two is pray the scriptures. Amen? Pray the scriptures. Partner your prayer time with your reading time. Throughout the week, as you're praying, mix in reading so that you are praying and reading together. Uh, someone once said that praying is talking to God and then reading the word is him talking back. That's a little bit of a generalization, but there's truth. This is the solid place that we go to see and know God's word. Wow. Wow. And we've talked about this a few times. Practice Lectio Divina. What is that? That means opening up the word. Actually, we'll get there in a minute. I'm jumping ahead. I'm not jumping ahead. Pray to scriptures. It means opening the word and praying through the scriptures. Many of the scriptures are prayers. Right? David's a little crazy. Some of y'all been reading the Psalms? Yeah. He's like, smite yeah. them, oh Lord, and yeah. Yeah. break their jawbone, right? We're like, what in the world? But God, you're good. Yeah. Right? Though my enemies surround me, and, I, and you're like, man, but pray that. Read it and pray it. God, I, I'm gonna pray this. Pray the word regularly. Number three, meditate on the scriptures. What does it mean to meditate? It means to ponder, to consider, right? We're so goal oriented, aren't we, as a society? We're not formational oriented. We're goal oriented, right? Which means, man, I'm going to read the scriptures because I need to read through it. One year, read through the Bible in a year. And we mark our success based on reading through it at the end. But what does it look like actually to take a scripture and a pause? I'm not going to move on. I know I have a goal to finish. But man, there's this word. I read John 15, and Jesus said, abide in the vine and produce fruit. And you know what, God? For today, I'm going to stop reading, and I'm going to seek about what it means to abide. God, what does it mean to abide? 9 a.m., I'm driving to work. 8 a.m., 7 a.m., whatever time, 5 a.m., what does it mean to abide? I'm pondering. Abide. 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 I go to work. My lunch time. I'm going to grab my lunch. God, I'm still thinking about it. Abide in the vine. What does it mean to live in you? What does it mean to rest in you? What does it mean to consume and dwell? God, abide. And, and then I drive home, and I'm thinking, abide, God. Abide. And on my way home, I'm thinking, you know what? What am I abiding in? What have I been living in? What has been consuming? Man, this word abide. And I get home and I, and, and I wash clothes or I, or I take out the trash or I walk the dog and I abide, abide. I go to sleep, God, abide. I pray, God, help me to be a person, a man who abides. What does it look like not to read to finish something but to read to meditate on it? Number four, verse 16, he says, don't forget. And I've just lightly kind of described this, memorize the scriptures. Students, this is going to be a little traumatizing, a little triggering for you. (laughs) we like, man, I got rid of all that, right? Flash cards, right? Three by five cards, all that stuff. And if you're a student now, hey, look, you can give yourself a break here. But for many of us, that's something we did as a student, as a kid, VBS. But what does it look like to buy three by five cards? Like, wait a minute, i don't got school. I don't have a test. But what does it look like just because I want to be a formational person? Like some of you, you write... You know, just this vision of you writing, even in lipstick, right? <laughs> uh, on your mirror, a uh, verse. And every morning, you just reciting, reciting, and committing it to memory, brainwashing, because the patterns of this world has already washed your brain, and so, Jesus, I need you to wash me with your word. In participating in these rhythms, here's what we're doing. We're taking every thought captive see that and bringing it under submission to christ it's a bad word huh we don't like submission but we will submit if the one we're submitting under is a benevolent and good god if it's true love we'll submit we will submit we're going to take time to respond but i'm going to finish uh during christmas Uh, Pastor Roger, Becca, the girls, uh, Marcus and Sonia and his kids, and Jamila and myself and Philip. we went. You know, I don't know if you guys do this, but you guys kind of go and look at houses, the lights, right? There's, like, neighborhoods and stuff. So we went to San Jose. First time I went out in a particular area, I forgot exactly where. And to be honest with you, the lights were amazing, but the houses were even more amazing. You ever do that? You're just like, wow. And we're walking, and and we're talking about, you know, when and Marcus started talking about it, like, man, what kind of house do you, you know? You like the vintage look, the Victorian, maybe the modern. And we're out there and we're like gawking at all these houses covered in lights. And people are out there, the owners of the home, and they got their fires out, (laughs) roasting marshmallows like today. (laughs) You know, I mean, I know they're not, but you know, my sin nature, I'm like. "Hmm." And I just sit in there and uh, and not to be all holy or anything else. But, you know, I I looked at Mark and I said, you know what? If I wasn't a pastor, if I wasn't a follower of Jesus, that would be the goal. That's it. That's the goal. My my little apartment, (laughs) two-bedroom, one room is full of, you know, it's a garage. Park my bike in that room. Poor Jamila trying to keep it clean. I'm all rolling my bike in there. I don't need you to applaud me. This is not what I'm trying to say. I'm just saying, if Christ wasn't the goal, that would be. Right, because when heaven's not your home, then this earth becomes your heaven. When you're not willing to give it up, when there's not something greater, some of you may ask, how could you? How could you bypass that? I'm gonna tell you, I found a greater love. That's the only thing that'll motivate you. We fight for our loves. Uh, we we and so when you find a love that's greater, you sacrifice, you lay your life down. I've seen something, I've behold something, I've found something like the parable of the man who found a treasure and he went back and he sold all. He sold everything and he go and he dug up to find this price, this pearl of great value. It's Christ. He is our treasure. And so I don't expect you to give everything up. I don't expect you to lay down the patterns of this world. My goodness, it is enticing. Eat from it. Feast of it. If that's your greater love. But if Christ is your love. If you believe what he's done on that cross. If you believe he took the sin of this world and put it on him. And, and that he was punished for you and in exchange he gave you his purity he gave you his righteousness so that in christ you no longer need to justify yourself you no longer need applause the pride of life you no longer need to be affirmed through status but yet in christ you've been given the crown of glory in christ you've been elevated you've been lifted i don't need man's applause because i am accepted already in christ got to find a greater love and some of us this world is where we find it but for others it's in Christ and so we gladly lay down our desires our wants because he's worthy he's worthy he's worthy And if you're not a follower of Christ, at least you know why we do what we do. This is why we do it, because we found a greater love. Maybe you have a love in your life you found that's worthy of denying Christ, but we've found a love. So we lay down our passions, our flesh, our appetites, our cravings, because he is worthy. It's late. This is the longest I've ever preached here. I don't, it's not, I'm just saying, can we take a few more moments to respond? If you have to leave, I understand. He's worthy. wow what a song to sing what a prayer to pray I can feel my heart breaking just your regular religious routine. You sing this song, you raise your hands. Yes, Lord, refine me. But there are some people in this room, my heart breaks. It is, this isn't religion for you. This is painful. This is harmful, in some ways triggering. My heart breaks for you, because I know this isn't easy. It's not a prayer and that's it. been so hurt and wounded, churches harmed you, <sighs> Jesus, 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 thank you, God. I'm interceding for you right now. Jesus, do what words can't do. Father, I just pray for this community. Can I pray for individuals in this room that this isn't religious routine. That they're listening to these words and the warfare is great and the pain is deep. And even the will is weak. a miracle will change a mind. So God we, that's where we let you be God. You're God. You're God of our hearts and our minds in this room. No amount of prayer, reading, sometimes we've prayed it, we've prayed, we've read, we've tried everything. God. So, in faith, we just trust miracles. You do miracles. Only God could change a man's heart, a man's mind. We can't. Holy Spirit, would you do deep works in this community? And we want to see people radically changed. Be with us in this battle. with us in this tension Jesus you are so beautiful you are the greatest love of our lives and so we lay down all other lovers we present our bodies as a living sacrifice so Jesus will you be with us renew our minds we love you we praise you I pray now that your word has cut your spirit would heal the gospel would heal us that be healing the beauty of our savior the beauty of our savior who's not here to harm or hurt but is here to heal I pray that our heaven would not be this world pleasures of this world relationships of this world Material of this world, but it would be stored up with you. And so I love you. I praise you. I ask that you would go with us. You would keep us. You would bring us back. And that our lives would bring you glory. In Jesus' name, Amen and Amen. Congratulations, you guys made it. Inspired Church, you did it. Thank you so much for your attentiveness and your willingness to adjust. Go and be blessed in the name of the Lord. We love you guys.